0: Welcome to Writing the Wrong Way, the podcast for writers who strive to be bold and readers who crave something new. I'm your host, Jonathan Ball. I want to thank you for being here, and I want us to stay in touch, so subscribe to this podcast, then go to writingtherongway.com, and enter your best email to receive the Martian Embassy Missive, my bi-weekly newsletter where I let you know what's happening on Mars, where we're always making big plans. Join the Martians so you don't get left out of the invasion at writingtherongway.com, And, as a special bonus, I'll send you a free book. Speaking of books, my new book is called The National Gallery, and it contains sonnets about Leatherface from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, elegies lamenting the death of my iPhone, and other strange missives from yours truly, the poet laureate of hell. Visit thenationalgallery.ca to order your signed copy. That's thenationalgallery.ca. Today I want to talk about something I call the Seven C's of Story. So this is a way of very, you know, quickly, <laughs> relatively quickly, outlining the sort of global overall story. And I'm going to use the example um, of a movie story, you know, a feature film script story. Uh, but I will point out this is the process that I would recommend and I would use for any type of story, so if I was writing a short story, if I was working on a novel project, um, anything at all that has you know a story, short film, feature film, it's television uh, script, etc., uh, I would you know recommend a version of this process because these are the sort of core elements that you're going to more or less need to figure out at some point um, when you're putting together a story. Um, but you, uh, I think, can best and most clearly see them uh, in a screen story, a feature film script story. Uh, I think that's just an, a, a good example. It's going to be our example. I'm going to use the very specific example of a screenplay I once wrote and that I'm going to be rewriting and re- revising later this year. Um, so I'll talk very specifically about kind of this process of developing sort of the core overall outline of the story, uh, and then later uh, we'll talk more about fleshing that out. Now, again, I call this the seven C's of story because there are seven core story elements that I think it really helps to have figured out sooner rather than later. They all are words that start with C, you know, happily. Uh, so I call them the seven C's of story. And in many respects this is the process of beginning at the end. Edgar Allan Poe once wrote an essay in which he explained how he wrote his poem The Raven. Uh, Poe became very famous with the poem The Raven, although unfortunately it didn't bring him that much money. Uh, And he quickly wrote an essay about The Raven, about how he wrote The Raven, and he walks very meticulously through his process of writing and uh, the kind of logic of what he was doing. Uh, you can go to JonathanBall.com slash Poe, P-O-E, JonathanBall.com slash Poe. If you want to read that essay, you, you know, it's up there, and there's a couple of questions to help you kind of think about uh, some of the things that he claims in it. Um, so if you want to read it, go to JonathanBall.com slash Poe, but otherwise, um, the important thing for our purposes right here is... Uh, in his essay, Poe writes this, quote, "Nothing is more clear than that every plot worth the name must be elaborated to its denouement before anything be attempted with the pen. end quote." Now, that's not necessarily a rule of writing the way Poe wants to make it a rule of writing, but I think it is great advice for the writer because it has a lot of practical uses. You know, planning from the ending uh, is a very uh, powerful tool for a couple of reasons. One, Um, thinking from the ending and then backwards throughout the rest of the story, it helps you think about the global story. And the reason for that is something we'll get into shortly. But it really is a a process that helps you think about the global story, the overall story. Uh, And that's a very powerful and useful uh, thing. Because thinking about the global story helps you determine what kind of medium works best for your story. So again, I'm going to use the example of a feature film. You're writing a feature film script. And in the process, of that I'm going to talk a bit about why a feature film will work for the kind of story that I'm going to give as an example, and I'll talk a little bit about you know the different genres um, and what works best, uh, it, or rather the different mediums, you know, from prose fiction, um, screen play, you know, play scripts, and so on, and. It's also, I think, very useful to think in this broad kind of outlining process where you're kind of not necessarily at this point developing a fully fleshed outline. You know, that'll come later. But at this point, getting sort of, you know, seven big touchstones, seven cornerstones uh, sorted out as fast, you know, as you can. If you can have these seven cornerstones or even just a handful of these cornerstones in place, It really helps you map out the rest of them. It really helps you map out the whole overall story later when you kind of come to flesh it out and develop it more fully. And as a side note, if you want to have any sort of career as a professional writer, you really need to get in the habit of doing this kind of outlining. It's uh, basically, in my opinion, nearly impossible to have a sustainable writing career without outlining and that's just a matter of speed it's not that you can't just start writing without an idea or without a really clear sense of where you're going many writers do that and many writers do well with that stephen king is the best example of a person who quote-unquote pants it which will sit down and just start writing Made a bit of a vague idea, you know, a few things in his head, but he'll sit down and start writing without really having an outline, or really having a plan. Now, obviously that works fine for Stephen King. Um, whatever you want to think about Stephen King artistically, uh, he is a professional writer, right? You know, you can't argue, you can argue if he, you like him, you don't like him, you can argue that he sucks, he doesn't suck. Whatever you want to say about Stephen King is fine, it doesn't Impact the fact that he makes a living writing. You can't argue with that. Stephen King makes money. Uh, I would argue, though, that Stephen King is sort of a freak in a manner of speaking. You know, that is almost impossible to really be doing unless you can actually um, write as fast as he can. Um, which many, I mean, I've met maybe two people who can write as fast as Stephen King. And even they are outlining. Uh, I think, broadly speaking, uh, outlining is, you know, more or less the way to have a professional career as a writer. So that's a kind of more developed conversation for another time, but I would really encourage you, if you're reluctant to outlining, to really think about outlining as part of your job. If you want to be a writer of any... Professional capacity. Uh, regardless, that's the process I'm going to kind of teach you, because then uh, one of the great things about the outlining process and thinking about a story, and you know, in terms of like just you know, figure out these seven things first, is it really lets you kill the story fast. Like if you realize there's nothing here uh, after sitting there and you know, noodling with it for you know, a few days or a few weeks or a few hours or what have you. I mean, if you cannot get these seven things sorted out, then probably there's not a story there. Um, And it's better to know that, I would argue, uh, before you are 300 pages into writing the story or 100 pages in or or whatever. So uh, I'm gonna, again, recommend a process whereby you focus on a few core elements first in terms of getting a sort of very basic outline. Uh, I'm gonna recommend you look at these, what I call the seven C's, which we'll go through in a second. Um, I'm going to use the example of a screenplay I once wrote that I'll be returning to and revising later in the year, so I'm going to use a kind of a real-world example where I've got a whole first draft uh, of this thing, and I also am kind of coming up with a plan to rework it. Um, The script, uh, I'm going to use an example then, again, it's a screenplay, a feature-length screenplay, it's called Dirk Dirksen versus the Demons from Mars. Uh, and My story is a broad comedy with some horror elements. And I'll talk a bit more later about the genre uh, and what difference it makes. Like whatever genre you choose to work in, whether you're writing a comedy, a horror, a romance, uh, whatever. uh, All those genres have their own conventions. They have their own kind of rules that you have to be aware of. But I want to start with the overall considerations that you would look at regardless of genre. No matter what type of story you're writing. These are the sorts of things you need to figure out fairly quickly. And then in the course of this, we'll talk a little bit about the specifics of the genre. Um, but in many ways, what we're looking at is these kind of transferable uh, concepts that could, you know, would be just as applicable in romance as in a horror. Now, the number one C, the overall big, big C, in a manner of speaking, uh, is change. Uh, When you are coming up with an original idea for a feature film script, you really need to think deeply about the change. What I mean by that is what will change in the course of the story. Uh, Now, there's a number of things that will change in the course of the story. There's going to be some big changes, some smaller changes. Uh, You need to think about all those changes. Uh, The very, very big change uh, or the handful of big changes Uh, that are going to happen in the course of the story, what's going to change in that course of the story, is basically what the story is about. That's what the story is about in its core essence. Uh, And it really helps to think about it this way. Uh, When you lay out the story in its opening pages, you're setting everything up, establishing the world, moving us into that world. And then later on at the end, when you're revealing how everything turned out, Uh, what things are like now, what has happened in the wake of this story. Again, what Poe calls the denouement. Before you get to the denouement, uh, it really helps to think through, uh, or, you know, it helps to think through the denouement, as Poe says, uh, before we kind of determine the rest of it. Because, uh, ideally, when all is said and done, the reader, whether they're reading a book or a screenplay or a short story or what have you, they should be able to look at the opening, look at the end, and see a difference. There should be a difference in the character and a difference in the world, potentially, as well. Uh, in, a, in a movie script, I would argue you need clear differences in the characters, clear differences in the world. If we're writing prose fiction, it may be enough to just have uh, the character change and not necessarily the whole world change. Um, but in... And in many respects, in a movie, that's not enough. Now, when I say the world changed, that doesn't necessarily mean the whole, you know, like the whole world actually changes, like Earth is different now, although, of course, it could be that big a change. Uh, The world, really, in this kind of conversation, just means whatever the, the place is where that character is located. So maybe their world is a department store, maybe their world is their home, Maybe their world is their country or the world at large. Uh, Their world could be their neighborhood. Their world could be uh, their company. It it could be any number of things, but it's a contained sort of space where the story is happening. You need to think, again, very deeply about the change in the character, the change in the world. How is the character different? How is the world different as a result of what happened? Again, if when your story is done, you can't read the first few pages and skip to the last few pages and see a clear and meaningful difference, then the story is not about anything, the plot events are not significant, the characters poorly developed, one or all of those three are happening. And they're all uh, major problems. So it's good to start with the change because that's, again, what your story is gonna be about in its essence, uh, and it's what you're gonna lead with also when you try to explain the story to other people. Uh, so it really helps, again, to get very clear on this as much as possible so that not only can you explain it to yourself what the story is about and then make the whole writing process easier, but then when the time comes, you know, you can explain it to other people. You could maybe, you know, be pitching this project, uh, you know, depending on what state, whatever stage it's at. You know, It helps to write a log line, uh, it helps to write a sentence or two that you might say in a pitch meeting uh, and try to get that down at the start of the story process. I wager that if you cannot sit down and write a sentence or two or three about this story uh, that explains very quickly in a very simple and clean way what's happening, what's the big change that takes place, and so on, uh, then you don't have an idea there. Uh, and, you know, if you can't write two, three sentences about it, uh, how are you going to write 100 pages about it? You know, maybe it's a novel idea. How are you going to write three, 500 pages if you can't get a paragraph out? Now, that's not an easy paragraph to write. So if it's you're finding it hard to write that, you know, overall, like, log line or paragraph and so on, you shouldn't be discouraged by that. Uh, but, it's you know, if you're really working at it, you should be able to do it. And she be able to read it and see clearly, again what's the story about? What's happening here? So here's my Dirk Dirksen uh, versus the Demons from Mars logline. Dirk Dirksen versus the Demons from Mars is about a starry-eyed immigrant who Im- arrives to the United States and discovers that the country he loves has been overrun by demons from the planet Mars. Other Americans have become accustomed to the presence of these demons, so. Dirk must become the demon warrior of legend and defeat the demon president before his re-election. But in order to defeat the demons, Dirk has to survive his friends. So that's my logline. It's making a few changes very clear. Dirk goes from being naive about America and believing in its ideals to coming to understand the truth of America, which in this case is that it's overrun by demons. (laughs) You know, the brutal reality uh, that America is not what it seems from afar. And once you're in the heart of it, you know, it it's, looks very different. He recovers his patriotism, though, uh, as finally, by taking on the hard work of changing the country himself. He goes from being a normal person to being a hero. You know, this is a very kind of classic uh, hero story in that sense. Again, that's to some degree a function of the genre. You don't necessarily be, have to be writing heroes. Um, you know, there is a lot of misperception about that that I see. All your characters, your main characters, don't have to be heroes. The protagonist is not necessarily a hero, um, but you know, certain stories, certain genres might have a hero character. In this case, I've got a kind of reluctant hero character. He goes from becoming a normal person, to becoming a hero. In this case, he's the demon warrior of legend. He goes from admiring the president to becoming the mortal enemy, trying to kill the president. Right? Like it's a very clear uh, change. Dirk changes and also the wider world changes. America uh, itself goes from accepting demons as a fact of life to seeing that they don't have to accept demons as a fact of life. So, you know, there's a very clear uh, progression from the start to the end. Things are different now that Dirk has done these things. Um, since Dirk Dirksen <laughs> was versus the demons from Mars, you know, the world has changed. Now, um, just a quick note about my example. Again, this is an old story I'm rewriting now. So, you know, this is really... Although it's like using the example of America and it's talking about the president and so on, it really has no tie to anything politically that's kind of happening in the world. Um, it's, you know, it was written like in first draft in 2004. Uh, and, you know, I'm rewriting it now in 2020. So... Um, Like that's a massive gap. It's just, and it's not necessarily tied as a political allegory to any particular you know thing that's happening. It would be easy to do that. Uh, So that's the decision I'll have to make. Do I tie it somehow into um, you know uh, the gun control issues and make it somehow an allegory of gun control? It would be very easy to do that. You know, to see demons as some sort of metaphor uh, for. You know, shooters or shootings or what have you. I'm not saying that I necessarily want to do that, but I'm just saying that at some point I'll have to make decisions like that. I don't need to make those decisions now. Uh, I just need to talk at this point on the broad, overall, global scale. So, uh, you know, I need to think about things like, broadly speaking, we're going from, you know, America as an ideal to America in its real you know, reality. I don't necessarily have to... Uh, concretize those abstract ideas yet. That's something that would have to come about later. In terms of genre, it's also worth uh, keeping in mind uh, I'm writing a comedy in this example. Now because it's a comedy, I can play around with a lot of things that I maybe wouldn't have to necessarily play around with. Uh, You know, for example, uh, I can deliver the opposite of what makes sense in a normal story. Uh, In the normal story, on the surface level, um, you know, things would have to go one way typically. But in a comedy, I can often deliver the opposite on a surface level, as long as I'm still delivering on a deep level. So, for example, um, uh, one thing that would make sense in this story is to have Dirk Dirksen, because he's taking on the demon president, uh, let's say, you know, he decides at a certain point he's going to run against the demon president and he succeeds, and this, you know, is maybe the kind of uh, climactic moment. Dirk Derson, the hero figure, has come in and succeeded uh, in, you know, democratically running against the demon president. For him to win the election, it would have to mean uh, then, again, he's going, these massive changes have taken place. He's going from being basically a nobody, an immigrant, who's new to the country, to becoming the president. In short time, is going from you know uh, entering a a world you know a uh, country where people have accepted the fact of demons you know in their ranks to uh, a country where people have rejected the demons. They you know in this case concretizing all that by literally they vote to reject uh, the demon president. And instead, you know, make the demon warrior their new president. So that's some massive changes that would take place in the story. Because it's a comedy, I can deliver those changes and also subvert the changes uh, with a kind of ironic ending. So what I might, what I you know, have in the draft uh, right now is uh, he gets he runs against the demon president. He gets elected. He succeeds, but uh, because he's an immigrant, he can't become president. <laughs> so by default. The demon president gets reelected, even though nobody voted for him. Um, So uh, everybody votes for change, but they just get the status quo. Now, in a comedy, I can do that. I can have a massive change happen on this deep level where there has been a change in America, there has been a change in Dirk's status, there has been a change in the world, but on the surface level, none of it gets reflected uh, because it's a comedy. I'm just, you know, there's like a joke twist thrown in there in another genre you wouldn't be able to do that uh, but you know the genre you know starts to matter fundamentally in particular ways so then whatever your idea is you know you got to keep in mind you know how the genre might subvert or twist or alter uh, some of these things but regardless you need to really start with that change you know what's this story about at its core in a you know deep levels, because that's going to help lead you to all these other things. So once you have that kind of C figured out, you're going to get these other C's are going to start to fall in line more cleanly. Now, the second biggest one is the conflict. Uh, The conflict is in many ways what's structuring things like the plot. So we've got this overall change that's going to happen. What we really need to think about is what is the conflict that's going to produce that change? Uh, what is the conflict or what are the conflicts that are going to produce those changes in the world? Um, so again, you got a handful of big changes. You know, Dirk F- Dirksen, for example, has, you know, at least two big changes. Uh, I mean, it has more, but just to give, grab two, one, Dirk himself goes from sort of just being an average Joe uh, to being the demon warrior becoming a hero goes from sort of a normal person to becoming a hero so that's an internal change Uh, so he has to have an internal conflict that's going to produce that change you know the simplest one in this case and probably the one you know that kind of i'll be going with is um you know he doesn't want uh to be a hero he instead just wants to be a, a normal everyday american he's literally in this instance he's come to america wanting to become an american Um, but what he needs to do in the course of story to succeed and solve these bigger problems is he needs to separate himself from everyday americans and become a hero you know become the demon warrior now let's necessitate a number of other conflicts Uh, what I want to point out about that particular conflict is, one, it's an internal conflict, but two, it's subordinate to a bigger conflict. So that's not the overriding conflict of this whole story. The only reason he needs to change and he needs to solve that internal conflict is because of this bigger problem. You know, He has to come to terms with the fact that he needs to become a hero um, because there are bigger forces at work, bigger conflicts that require resolution. And they require him to become a hero you know to resolve them so that's not the core conflict that's going to matter in terms of the massive overarching story but it is a conflict that's going to produce a change and it's a big change that does matter quite a bit in this case that's an internal conflict we've got five basic levels of conflict uh, happening in a story three of them are plot levels so usually we just talk about three levels of conflict. If you've ever heard people talk about three levels of conflict, that's because they're talking about the plot levels. Um, and there's you know two other levels, I would argue, that are not plot levels, but start to sort of matter and get reflected in the writing. Um, so I'm just going to run through those very quickly again. One is the external level of conflict, where outside of the characters um there is some force creating conflict so that could be you know uh, any number of things it could be that there's a bomb about to go off and blow them up you know they got to defuse that bomb that bomb is an external source of conflict or they have to get away from the bomb or whatever it could be a volcano is going to go off and you know kill them because they're too close to it again volcano is this external source of conflict uh, environmental conditions like a storm would be a source of conflict like that sometimes in certain genres you'll see uh certain things operate in that way like in the horror genre the monster is basically operating as an external conflict you know maybe it's an individual vampire that's you know like dracula who's you know, producing all the conflict maybe it's you know a horde of zombies that are kind of you know although there's you know twenty thousand of them They're acting sort of as one unit. Um, They're almost like a weather, like an environmental factor that's producing conflict. It's the same way that, you know, like a storm might produce conflict uh, and so on. These external factors, these things outside of the characters, you know, more or less things from the world, uh, the external world around them, producing conflict. Now, because we're talking movies, is worth noting that, uh, film is at its best. The medium of film is best, uh, used to explore external conflicts. So that doesn't mean you have to have an external conflict as your core conflict, um, to which everything else is subordinated, but it does mean that it helps, uh, to have an external conflict that you can keep bringing attention to. So in this case, it's very simple demons. The demons from Mars are the external source of conflict. mean, the title itself says it. Dirk Dirksen versus the demons from Mars. So this is a comedy with horror elements. So again, I'm going to have to, on the horror side of things, I'm going to have to figure out like, well, what's, what are those monsters? What are their rules? What are they all about? What do they do? Etc. Uh, Etc. et, cetera, et cetera. Um, And all that stuff, you know, is the details that I don't need to have figured out yet. Coming down from external conflict levels, there's also the social level of conflict, where other people are causing conflict. So, uh, in this case, uh, Dirk is, again, it's a comedic uh, story. And in keeping with the genre, we have, you know, Dirk Dirksen as this sort of straight man who is surrounded by absurd figures. So he's, you know, this kind of, you know, true patriot hero surrounded by these, quote-unquote, average Americans who are not patriots or heroes, but are just causing, like, problems for him. Now, in many ways, uh, my story, uh, the Dirk Dirksen vs. Demons from Mars, despite the title that focuses on external conflict in my story very much the conflict s- focus on those other people and that's again something that is expressed in that log line earlier uh, in order to solve in order to defeat the demons dirk has to survive his friends you know there's this way in which uh again he's a straight man he's surrounded by absurd figures he's trying to do something that other people don't see the value in doing um or they just don't understand what he's doing, or they just don't know how to help him, or they just aren't interested in helping him, or what have you, but they're still there. Their presence is creating problems for him. He's, you know, trying to very, you know, seriously and straightforwardly do what he can, uh, and meanwhile, he's, you know, surrounded by these ridiculous figures. Now, um, that in many respects is... The core of this story uh, that these people are causing problems for one another Um, and we've even got even with the demons we've got this demon president who's caught up in a web of social networks and we've got this character who's you know trying to you know move uh, forward but everybody else is holding him back in many respects, what we're dealing with on a thematic level, so another source of conflict, this is, or another type of conflict, is this not, not a plot conflict, but at this broader level this is the thematic level of conflict. Idealize wise what the story's about, on a kind of very thematic and abstract plane, this is a story that is about the ideal versus the reality things seem one way, but they actually are a different way. So that's uh, the core thematic conflict. It's not a plot conflict, but it starts to get expressed in the plot, Um, right? You know, Dirk Dirksen is the ideal versus the reality, which is these demons from Mars. So like those two characters, you know, this character and this external force are both symbolizing the different sides of this thematic ideal. When we come down to the level of social conflict, again, we've got a true patriot hero surrounded by, you know, uh, these average Americans who are neither patriots nor heroes. But on the surface level, he's an immigrant who's not an American. Um, They're, you know, real American patriots. When we look deeper, the opposite is the case. Uh, so, very much this is like what the story is about thematically, and we're going to keep seeing versions of this. So, in the writing, I'm going to keep coming up with versions of this. Things seem this way, but they're really this other way. Um, as you know, from afar, America looks one way, but then when he comes to America, it looks a different way. Um, the closer we come, the more we remove ourselves from the ideals, the more we make contact with the reality. Reality is not what it is seem to be. So that's just a thematic idea that's going to express itself in the plot. Uh, it's a conflict that's happening on this very conceptual level that's going to keep expressing itself in these more um, grounded ways, in more concrete ways, less abstract ways on this plot level. Uh, because of I want to just make sure whatever I'm doing on this plot level, whenever I'm coming up with an external or social or internal or whatever, It's going to express or feed into this thematic idea. So the sooner you can get to that thematic idea, the sooner you can figure out what your story is about in these abstract terms, the better. You don't stay there. You you just make sure everything kind of starts connecting there, uh, either when you're drafting or when you're revising. Uh, But it really helps to have that figured out. Because what you're going to try to do is sync these levels up, right? I want to have... So as a simple example, uh, I want to get... On the plot level, I need to have an external source of conflict, these demons from Mars. I've got these social sources of conflict, the friends, uh, quote unquote, friends around him who are making his life harder rather than easier because they aren't supporting him. They seem to support him, but really they're making things harder. Uh, You know, if if he didn't have the support of these friends, he would have an easier time fighting these demons. What I want to do is sync those levels in in different ways so the simplest sync here the thing that i'm going to keep having uh, is again the other thing i'm thinking about here is here's a story that's really social it's really about social conflicts at its core but film is best when it comes to external conflicts so i want to keep taking those social conflicts with his friends and finding ways to express them in terms of the demons in terms of this you know how do i marry up the social conflicts with the demon conflict. Uh, social conflicts weren't important but demons are what you know I'm looking at in a basic way. So the very simple way to solve that problem here is to take those two conflict levels and start sinking them in terms of like his friends. He comes in conflict with his friends and then that intensifies or develops or connects to conflicts with the demons. His friends keep putting him in danger uh, from the demons. So the true danger, in many ways, is are the other people with him who don't uh, understand uh, what he understands about America, Um, and then of course, you know. But the demons are the obvious, you know, thing that's going to kill him. We all talked about the internal level of conflict. So just within the character, there's some, you know, conflict that they have within themselves, that you know they need to overcome again uh, in this case we're thinking very much at this broad global scale we're thinking very much like what's the change? what's going to happen to this person as a result of having gone through this story how are they going to be different at the end of the story than at the start once you figure that change out then we figure out what's the conflict that produces that change so i already went through that um but you know for you it's going to be different right it's uh, anything it's but it's again connecting up to those other levels What's kind of happening in my particular story uh, is there's going to be a moment basically where, again, there's this thematic idea that um, things are not what they seem to be. Uh, I've got this, you know, on the demon level, when I actually started getting into like the demon design, uh, what we're going to have is a basic situation where the demons are like these supernatural spirits possessing people. So the demons aren't going to be walking around looking like demons. The demons are going to be walking around looking like people. Uh, And then, like, there'll be some visual marker where it's determined, like, when a demon possesses a person, they kind of change visually in particular ways. I'm going to have to have them change visually because this is a film. Um, But uh, again, that creature design is even going to play into that. Uh, into expressing those thematic ideas, right? Internally uh, and socially, again, I want to tie those two levels up. One of the sort of ways in which this is going to work, the way I'm going to kind of sync a lot of these levels is, you know, Dirk Dirksen is going to be taken for uh, a demon warrior. They're going to th- kind of, people will see him as the demon warrior because he's the only person interested in fighting demons, or the only person he sees anything even wrong with the demons, he doesn't accept the presence of the demons as easily as everybody else, because he's not acclimatized to them. For that reason, they'll just assume he's a demon warrior of legend. Uh, he'll be, you know, uh, think trying to convince people, I'm oh, no demon warrior. I'm just some dude. Um, he has to accept internally that he is the demon warrior. Um, like in many respects, like he's got to stop fighting, uh, this assumption or this this you know idea of himself as being pushed onto him by other people but at the same time the fact that they're pushing it onto him is putting him in danger from these demons because now you know everyone's calling this guy the demon warrior well the demons want to kill that guy as a result he you know is uh you know no idea what that even means uh and you know uh, so on and so forth so all these things kind of levels are starting to interconnect uh, also, keep in mind, you know, on the internal level, uh, this is a guy who loves America, and yet, you know, it's becoming clear and clear he has to kill the president, or at least, you know, you know, defeat uh, the president in some because the president's a demon. Now, the fifth level. So again, we got these three plot levels: external, social, and internal. You really want to try to have a one focus for each of those levels in a feature film script where you need, you kind of need all three levels more or less uh, to have, you know, script long enough. Certain genres you don't need as much focus. Like in, normally in comedy, we don't really need an internal conflict. Often in horror, we don't really need an internal conflict. If we can get an internal conflict, it helps those genres in some respects, um, but certain subgenres, it doesn't really help. So a comedy, for example, uh, certain styles of comedy, it does not help to have character dimension. It does not help to have character depth, like a, a, ba- a kind of really standard sitcom like The Big Bang Theory or something, like those sitcoms are only funny when characters have no depth and are one-dimensional. The second they start to have emotional depth and are not one-dimensional, it's not funny anymore and it sucks. It's not why we're there and it's a drag. Whereas a different style of comedy, you know, like The Office, uh, it works with those dimensions, you know, with kind of, you know, characters who have more depth maybe on a certain level, and can access emotions in a more kind of meaningful way and it can help the comedy uh, rather than, you know, hurting it. That becomes like a stylistic thing and a genre and a subgenre issue. I don't want to get too much into finer details of this because really we're talking about this broad story outline uh, part of the whole process and it doesn't help to get into these finer details but it's just something to keep in mind. So you've got those you know, three plot levels, external, social, internal. We've got these two abstract uh, kind of levels of conflict, thematic, uh, sort of the idea level where things are happening uh, in the story. There's also a level which I call the formal level. In a script, it's going to be something that the director, in many respects, is going to determine while consulting with like the cinematographer and editor. What I mean by formal level is just, like, there's going to be some, in terms of how it looks or how it's put together, there's going to be some conflicts expressed. So, uh, you know, in in a script, again, because it's a blueprint for a finished artwork and not a finished artwork, um, you really have, in many respects, the director coming in to determine these formal uh, conflict levels and how, like, things are going to work. But as a writer, I can build in a lot of options. So since you know I've got this theatric or thematic conflict uh, of like ideal versus reality, one of the things that I'll do when I start to really write and rewrite the script is I'll use this motif where consistently and constantly things seem one way but look another way on closer inspection. Again, that ideal versus reality thematic idea. I want to try to find a formal way to express that conflict too. So, what I'm going to end up doing in the script a lot of the times is I'm going to like lead, it's going to lead to a bunch of moments in the script where I visually uh, describe things in once, and then when the characters come closer to it, I'll describe the things a second time and they look different or, or other like visual cueing like that. So, I'm going to kind of build into the story in the script things like that. Uh, again, doesn't help me necessarily to think too much about. It, it, at this broad level. It really helps to just kind of focus on the plot here and on, like, how the themes tie into the plot in terms of the conflicts. So I've got my change, you know, uh figured out. I've got my conflicts. How, what conflicts are going to best produce that change? The next thing to figure out is, like, what characters will best express uh, those conflicts? Um, so... Uh, especially in my scenario where, you know, it's a social conflict focus, I really need to be thinking through, well, what are the characters that are going to express those conflicts the best? So on the external level, the demons uh, are the obvious like characters that are, you know, operating. They are characters, but they're also operating externally. For that reason, they won't really have character depth, right? They're just sort of representatives of this large impersonal, uh, force in the world, so they don't need to have character depth. I'll have one demon at least uh, that is more defined, the demon president, so the one demon that's sort of, you know, the leader of the demons and also unknowing to all, uh, you know, the president has been possessed by a demon. The sitting president who's trying for re-election, that's sort of what's going to be happening in the story. So that's sort of a thematic uh tying into thematic conflicts a little bit because this demon president is sort of symbolizing, you know, not just, uh, sort of symbolizing the, you know, reality of, uh, you know, how things really are in kind of America or, or thematically, like it seems one way, you know, like there's this president who's committed to fighting the demons, but the reality is, you know, when you look closer, that president is a demon who's not interested, of course, in fighting demons, but rather is, you know, just trying to secure more power for the demons so the external and thematic levels we've got characters that are kind of expressing those Uh, mostly i'm going to be in this particular story we're focusing on the social level uh i've got and have a host of characters there's sort of you know four different core characters that surround dirk dirksen one is this guy jones this dude that he meets who kind of He's just like an average dude on the street, but he decides he's going to become Dirk Dirksen's manager. And, you know, he figures there must be some way to monetize this guy who wants to fight demons. Um, There's a woman who kind of is, like, teams up with Jones. Her name is Veronica. She's this... um, uh, She runs a TV... She's a TV show host, uh, like kind of a talk show style, uh, talk show slash... Uh, sales show where she kind of pretends to be a psychic who uh, has, you know, all this information about the demons and so on. So again, like Jones capitalizing on the uh, fact that Dirk Dirksen is going to be a demon warrior. Um, is there a way to make money off the struggle as opposed to actually meaningfully inserting themselves into the struggle? So again, this kind of corporatized level at which, you know, people are parasitically attaching themselves to Dirksen. Uh, We've got, you know, Reisard, his uh, uh, other friend, you know, who's immigrated with him, who uh, just doesn't quite see the things that Dirks sees in the same way. You know, so somebody with a different uh, perspective but a similar background to him. Uh, we've got Eve, this woman he meets who is you know one of the only people who uh, is actually uh, you know truly kind of upset and kind of traumatically so about these demons here and who's really had some loss as a result of the demons but doesn't know what to do. Now, uh, it's worth just kind of pointing out that these are all different characters who have different names. <laughs> what I mean by different names is like their names start with different letters. Like, that's a really important thing in a screenplay, is that the names will start with different letters. But more important, they have different functions. So they're all sort of, you know, uh, have a way in which they will conflict with Dirk differently. Does that make sense? So Jones is going to conflict with Dirk in particular way where he's going to try to get Dirk to do things for money rather than for um, you know, in this case, passion, like mm. fighting the demons. Veronica is going to also be kind of on that corporatized level. Uh, where But, you know, she's really specifically trying to present Dirk to the public, whereas Dirk wants to hide. Uh, Rizard is going to consistently be presenting Dirk with, uh, you know, the all his old ways of seeing america that don't match up to his new ways he has to see america if he survives so in some ways like that Rizard character is just uh, externalizing a internal conflict you know dirk wants to hang on to his you know ideals about what america was to him but he can't if he wants to survive So that's an internal conflict, but I'm just going to externalize it as a social conflict. I'm going to give him another person who's going to represent that conflict. Because the more I can externalize these conflicts, the better. Because then I can look at something uh, on screen. It's really that simple in many respects. Uh, We're working in the medium of film. We need to be looking at things all the time. Eve, uh, again, you know she's like Dirk in this particular way, but she doesn't know what to do. Uh, so she could have, again, sort of in some ways symbolizing like the idea that he would give in to despair. Um, you know, again, this internal aspect of his character. Uh, internally, you know, we, of course, Dirk himself is you know, like the character who represents his internal character conflicts and so on. Now we've got our cast of characters we go more deep into it but you know the point is that for you uh you need to once you've got that change figured out you've got a sense of like what conflicts are going to produce that change now you got to figure out well what are the big key characters the core characters that are going to best connect to these conflicts or give me a vehicle to express those conflicts because the characters in many respects in a story are vehicles to expressing conflicts coming down to the next thing now we're actually on the level like plotting the story itself in terms of its events rather than just you know cycling around that big broad world we're going to figure out what's the climax you know what's the height of all these conflicts so every one of these conflicts will have some moment where it reaches its absolute height on the external level uh from my example dirk is going to you know defeat or not defeat the demon present and the demons themselves, right? That's the crisis. The climax is just this moment where the conflict gets resolved. So the conflict can be resolved in a positive or a negative way. Uh, It doesn't really matter in many respects. Uh, What matters is that it just, you can't go any higher with the conflict. It can't escalate to a higher point. You've hit the height of the conflict. Everything now nowhere else to go and the conflict is resolved. So that could mean, you know, he defeats the demons in my example. It could also mean he, it becomes clear he will never defeat the demons. You know, either one is fine because he just can't do another thing. Um, There's nothing else he can do that will produce a new result. Uh, Everything will just feed back to this same result. So in this case, you know, he's going to unmask the demon present live on TV during the debates and give the American people uh, the option of voting for him or the demon president. So the fallout from that is going to basically just be the, the final situation. There's no other thing he can do. Socially speaking, you know, uh, again, you know, he's going to fall out with his friends at some point, And then he's going to somehow uh, reunite with his friends climactically in, you know, you know, come to terms with the fact that not everybody understands his point of view necessarily. Um, and he has to you know just you know find a way to lead these people without um, you know falling victim to their individual uh, desires. Uh, and so on. You know, everything is going to have some climactic moment. So the overall thing for me is going to be figuring out how do I get everybody to a point this climactic scene where Dirk unmasks the demon president live on TV during the debates uh, and then offers himself as an alternative uh, election uh, candidate. Now forget about the fine details of like whether that would make sense in reality. Um, we just need to figure out what's the big move, the big moment that's going to happen in the movie. Coming down from that, you know, another C. The fifth C here is the crisis. So once I've got this big climactic moment, I maybe don't have all the details of it, but I know, like, everything's going towards this big event. What's the, you know, coming down from that, you know, just before that, what's the crisis moment in the sense that what's the biggest thing that this character could, what's the choice this character could make to produce the climax? Uh, and really what you're thinking about there is like what's the largest thing that this character could do the thing that they've been trying to avoid all this time um you know the most extreme action they could possibly take the hardest choice they could possibly make that's going to uh, end up with them uh producing this climactic moment so in this case uh Dirk's going to have to basically, you know, the biggest thing he could do is become a radical insurgent who attempts to destroy the American president. Who, in this case, you know, so he becomes a demon warrior. So, the whole time, this, so this is going to be a movie now, I've realized. Maybe I had the idea previously that he's, you know, a demon warrior, you know, very quickly. But now I realize, going through this process, the biggest thing that could happen to this guy is he just takes fully on the mantle of the demon warrior, which he's been trying to avoid. Um, And what that means, unfortunately for him, is he has to uh, betray all his ideals, uh, face the reality um, in a sort of weird, you know, recommitted, uh, in this case, you know, patriotism. To be a true patriot, he has to kill the president. That's sort of the joke Um, uh, that I'm working with in many respects, right? I want to point out also that, like, although this is a comedy, I'm not really thinking through, like, how to make things funny yet. I'm just trying to get the story figured out. The funny stuff is in some ways, you know, tied to the story, but in many respects, it's going to be a surface-level thing. Now, because I've got that crisis figured out now, so I've got the climax... I go backwards from that, I find my crisis. I go backwards from that, all the way to near the start of the movie to the moment of commitment. So that's the sixth C here, commitment. Um, and a commitment basically just means like some problem has arisen, he is committed to solving the problem. The core conflict is, how do I survive my friends and defeat these demons? Um, well, the core... Com- well, at a certain point in the story, the main character has to commit to resolving that conflict. Uh, and what that means simply is that there's no backing out. Like by the end of the movie now, with the end the story, he's going to resolve that conflict for better or worse. So the commitment in my example uh, is going to... Often this commitment should follow the crisis. In many respects, what you're looking for here is later on he's going to make a choice. Here he had... To he here he was confronted with the choice and managed to avoid making it, but still moved on the path to making it. So what I'm going to end up doing uh, in my story is the commitment is everybody assumes he's a demon warrior. They start calling him the demon warrior. He doesn't believe he's a demon warrior, but he's passively committed because everybody's treating him like the demon warrior. Uh, he can't get a, he can't quit you know, they're pushing him ahead. So this is a bit of a dangerous, uh, space. I would not necessarily recommend this if you can help it. Like I can't help it because that's where the story is going. Um, usually though you want a character to actively commit, uh, to solving their problems. I've got a situation where he's going to be passively committed. So to a certain degree, he's being pushed along. Um, now it's not that one is, uh, better than the other so much as one's easier to write so it's easier to write an active character uh, in many respects Um, it's harder to write a passive character like this because it's just in the sense that it's very easy with a passive character to not change them to an active character like by the end they're going to have to be an active character they have to make that crisis action decision uh, you know become an active person by that point if not before uh because th- their decisions have to produce the climax if their decision and their action doesn't produce the climax uh we have a days machina ending and it's you know the whole story is going to fall apart and be unsatisfying for the audience so uh, it helps if you have a character who is active and just not at that point yet uh, I'm gonna end up with a character who's passive and has to become an active character and then get to that point. So I've got a bit of a harder challenge here. Again, I don't necessarily recommend you know doing this exactly, but um, you know the story is the story. It's gonna move you where you, where it needs to move you. And it's very much about attending to the story. Now, a lot of what this exercise is is figuring out what's the coordinates of the story. What are the seven basic things I need to keep in my head? Uh, you know, so that I can make sure I'm on track with everything else. So anyway, I've got my commitment figured out. Uh, The catalyst is probably one of the first things that's going to happen in the story. but It's probably the last things that we're going to figure out in the story design here. Uh, My catalyst is very simple. It comes to America, discovers that it's overrun by demons. That's the catalyst in the sense that it sets in motion this chain of events that's going to produce... Uh, a situation where he's gets committed where one a conflict uh comes into play you know the demons start attacking him well not only now are demons attacking him and he's got to solve that problem um, but he starts to it sets this chain of events in motion where he realizes what's really happening here in america now that he's in it versus when he was outside looking at it thinking it was a different way um, so all, so that sort of event of him kind of coming to America becomes the catalyst that it chains towards everything else. So uh, there's a couple quick things to figure out at this point. Once you've kind of run through the, you know, the gauntlet of these seven C's, is it a movie? Uh, that's before we go any further with this. Before you move any further with your idea, you need to really consider is it a movie? Like, ask this question is it a movie? Um, if you're not trying to write a movie, that's different. <laughs> you got a different question. Uh, whatever you're trying to write, you know, the question is like, is this idea going to work for that thing? Uh, if you want it to be a movie, uh, just to keep with this movie example, you need to make sure that you have some way. To externally focus everything even if your external conflicts not the core conflict in many ways my external conflict is a secondary conflict and my social conflicts are the core conflicts but I still need to be chaining everything upwards into the external conflict so that I can show something because it's a movie uh, in a movie we have to have something to look at so that's the kind of test like do we have something to look at what I see a lot when people come to me with ideas and they say, well, this is my movie idea. A lot of the times they don't have a movie idea. They have a prose fiction idea in the sense that everything is happening kind of in the character's head. The internal conflicts are where really things are focused. It's very much about how this person is changed by the experience and he's having small experiences that are changing him in massive ways. Now that's a fine story, it works great in prose fiction, a medium that you know, emphasizes internal conflict and gives access to a character's internal life. It is not a cinematic. Um, so, uh, is it a movie? The big question, to, one smaller question to answer that is, do we have something to look at? You know, in this story, is there something to look at? At any point, do we have something to look at? Um, and, you know, what is it that we're looking at? Can we see, uh, are there any ways to revise this idea to make it more focused around uh, people doing things and things happening that we can see? There's other questions to consider. Uh, There's other, you know, things to keep in mind. But that's the sort of the core uh, thing to always be thinking about if you were talking movie ideas. Um, is it a movie? Do we have something to look at? Uh, are there ways that these conflicts can be externalized uh, in some respect or uh, symbolized in some visual manner? So uh, now it's your turn uh, to really think through your story, you know, Think about these seven C's. What's the change? What's the conflict that produces that change? Uh, What are the characters that are going to express these conflicts? Um, What's the climactic event? Uh, What's the crisis, you know, the climactic event where the conflict gets resolved? What's the crisis uh, action, the crisis decision, the thing that the characters uh, do that's going to produce that climax? Uh, what's the moment where they're committed, where they have to, uh, passively or actively, they now have to solve that problem. They're stuck in it. They have to resolve the conflict. They're on a path. Uh, and then, what's the catalyst? The moment where this conflict first comes into their life um, and really, you know, chooses them in a manner of speaking. Is it a story? Do you have that skeleton? And then, you know, if we're working in movies or whatever medium you're in, you know, is it a movie? Is it a short story? Is it a poem? Is it, you know, what is it that we're dealing with? Uh, Is it going to work in this medium?